And so we have been on this series about hope and moving towards the promise that God gives us. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand up and to open your Bible apps or your physical Bible or whatever you have with you. God's word this morning, we're going to put it up on the screen and we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. That's kind of been our main scripture passage over the past few weeks. So we're going to take a little bit out of that and then we're going to skip around a little bit. We're going to go over to Genesis. So you guys ready? All right. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Can I just say that um, you know you're old when they say that you're as good as dead? That's pretty old. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Of course she was. <laughs> now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, am I worn out and my Lord is old? Shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. We're going to jump down to Genesis 21.1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Father God, again, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank you for your word. 
your word that reminds us of your faithfulness, your word that reminds us of your promises, that reminds us that we are not walking through this world alone, but that you are there with us. I thank you for that, God. I thank you for the power that is in your word, the power to transform. May we be transformed today by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. And so here we have Abraham. He's sitting just inside the door of his tent. And he happens to look up and there's three men standing there. And something about these men immediately alert Abraham that these are heaven sent. Because we see that he bows before them. And he has this conversation where he convinces them to stay and rest. He's like, hey, we're going to bring water so you can wash your feet. You can rest from your journey. And... Um, you know, we're just, we're going to make you a, a morsel of, of bread, of something to eat. And I kind of like, I, I like Abraham's idea of a morsel of bread. So we, we find out here that um, he, he tells Sarah to make three siyas of fine flour. And so I did a little bit of research because I have no, I, I have not run across that in any of my cookbooks. I don't know about you, but I'm like, how much flour is this? 27 quarts of flour for three people. Now, I know these guys are heaven sent, right? They're probably pretty big guys, but this is a lot. And this is just going into the bread. So he's saying a morsel of bread, right? And so it kind of reminds me of, of going to my grandma's house when I was young. And she would say, oh, you guys come in for a bite to eat. And so her idea of a bite to eat would be like a four-course meal. You know what I mean? And you're leaving there like, I'm not going to eat the rest of the week. So he has Sarah make these, these cakes or this bread. And then it says that he runs to the field. He finds this tender young calf. He grabs it and he gives it to a young man, which we don't know who this young man is, where he's coming from. He could have just been someone he passes on, on his journey. I don't know. Here, prepare this and bring it back to me. And it says that he prepares this food, he brings it to these men along with curds and milk, and he serves them, and then he stands there while they eat, which had to be kind of awkward. Anybody have someone just kind of stand there while you're eating? And he's probably out of breath at this point, which might be why he didn't sit on and eat with them, because he's been running around trying to get all this stuff prepared. And so these men ask him, where is Sarah? Where's your wife? And they, he tells them that she's in the tent, and then they drop the news that at this time next year, Sarah's going to have a child. And Abraham's probably like, wait, what? You know, what? what, what? You know, I mean, he, he knew that there were going to be descendants. He had these promises, but now it's hit him like, okay, this, this, is, this is happening. And it's going to happen to Sarah. And so Sarah we read is, is keeping herself busy just close enough to hear the con conversation conveniently. I mean, after all, these three men are strangers. Her husband comes in in this rush, get, get this food together, prepare it. You know, she's never seen these people before. They're wanting to speak with her husband. And as my kids would say, Sarah's wanting to know the tea because they seem a little sus. So for those of us who don't have teenagers or young adults, Sarah's wanting all the details. She's wanting to hear what's going on because they seem suspicious. So she's just, just an earshot there so she can hear what's going on. She's listening in. 
So my husband, my husband used to laugh at me sometimes because I would bring up conversations that I would just, just bits and pieces of conversations that I would happen to overhear in public sometimes. And I would say, look, in my defense, I was raised on murder, she wrote, and Jessica Fletcher always was in the know, was she not? Like she knew all the details and that's the only way she solved these things was to know all the details. So I just trained my ear to know the details. And so Sarah, being a woman who pays attention to details, is close enough to be listening in. And as many possible scenarios that she probably has going through her mind at this time, nothing could have prepared her for what was she was getting ready to hear. And so she hears this announcement that this time next year she's going to have a child. Surprise! And it takes her off guard so much that we read that she begins to laugh. She laughs out loud, and it's probably one of those, oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. But she's, she's shocked. And so these men, these men are like, Sarah laughed. Why did she laugh? And it says that she was afraid, maybe she was embarrassed, and so she just says, I didn't laugh. To which they respond, no, but you did laugh. Awkward. So God keeps his promise and a year later Isaac is born and I cannot imagine the joy that Abraham and Sarah both felt as they saw their precious miracle for the first time. So, so far in this series, we've talked about a few people. We've talked about Noah. Noah who heard from God, God tells him to build a boat, a very large boat. Was it difficult? Yes. Would he endure ridicule? Yes. Would moving towards God's promise take a long time and a lot of hard work? Yes. Did he probably have a lot of splinters? Yes. But was it impossible? Abraham was told to go to a land that God had promised, to pick up his family, just go. Not a lot of answers, not an address to put in Google Maps. Had no idea if there'd be a Starbucks in between. He just went. He was just obedient. Did he have questions? I'm sure he did. Was he afraid to tell his wife? Maybe. Was it a difficult move? Maybe. But was moving towards God's promise impossible for him? No. Now we have Sarah. I want to point out the difference here in the faith and the hope that was required in Sarah's situation. She's not required to build something. She's not required to move at this point. She's just required to trust. But this is a situation that is completely out of Sarah's hands. There's nothing she can possibly do other than trust God. Because in order for this promise to take place, God has got to complete a, a transformation inside of Sarah's body. Not only is she someone who up to this point has been unable to conceive, but she's well beyond her childbearing age. Another impossible aspect that we see to this already impossible situation for Sarah. We find out that when Isaac is born, that Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. And to put this in perspective, Sarah dies at the age of 127, which means at the point that she gets this news, 
She's in the last quarter of her life. Can you imagine at the age of 89 finding out that you're going to have a child? I mean, even for someone who has wanted a child, who's wished and probably prayed for a child her entire life, by now she's probably given up. She's joined the knitting club and she's going to bingo every Friday night. And here she is. Surprise, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. So I'm, I'm going to share a story with you guys that we've shared with, with our um, friends and family out in our Berkeley Springs campus. And I actually shared it on uh, Canel Cuffey's podcast. If you don't listen to that, uh, proceed to lead. There's your plug, Canel, 20 bucks, please, after the service. He's got a great podcast on there. But around, around 2007, um, Chris and I, we had a, a friend that attended our church that, that came to Chris and offered him a job. And this man had his own store and he was wanting, he said that he was wanting to branch out, open another location back in his hometown, which was up north. And so he came to Chris and he's like, hey, I would like for you to, to come and manage my store for me. While I'm gone, you know, how do you feel about that? What do you think? And up until then, Chris had been in the drywall industry and, you know, with us being a large family, we had four young kids. It was kind of feast or famine. And I think we had always kind of been looking for that opportunity for him to to find something else to do. And so we kind of jumped at that opportunity like, yeah, that sounds great. Let, you know, let's do this. And it got even better because he's like, look, you know, I know that you guys kind of live a pretty good distance from the shop. And since we are going to be staying up north, you guys can rent our house from us while we're gone. And because our house is a lot closer of a drive for you guys to get to work, had a, had a nice larger home for us to stay in. And so we're like, this is great. We're going to rent this house. And Chris is going to be managing this store. So it wasn't long after that, um, Chris comes home one day and he's like, you know, I, I'm kind of wondering how, how this guy's doing financially because I'm starting to get these, these like collection calls and, and these notices at the store. And I'm just a little, getting a little concerned. And so he gives the guy a call and the guy's like, yeah, you know, things aren't looking so good for me financially. I'm probably going to have to close the store and, um, you should probably be looking for another job. So Chris like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to go with this, going to find something else. It wasn't too long after that, that I'm home with the kids and I get a knock at the door and I open the door and there's a real estate agent standing there in shock that somebody's living in the house. And upon conversation with her, she explains to me that the house has been in foreclosure for some time. And that it was scheduled to be auctioned off. And um, being the woman having it all together, I did what every woman that has it all together would do. I totally fell apart. <laughs> and I'm calling my husband at work and I'm in tears and hysterically trying to explain to him that we've got to leave our house. And... Um, he, he's talking to me. He's like, look, calm down, calm down. God has been faithful to us. God's got this. It doesn't take him off guard. He's not surprised by this. 
we're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We're going to figure this out. We're going to trust God. He has not allowed us to go hungry yet. I was still a little bit distraught. So he comes home early that day and we have some time to talk. And so we decided two things that day. As a couple, we decided that number one, we're going to trust God. We knew he had been faithful. We knew that he was going to make sure we were fed, that our kids were fed, that we had a roof over our heads. We were going to trust him. And number two, we decided that we're going to forgive. I remember one of the things that he said was, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes, and the truth is that the mistakes that we make affect other people, do they not? We've been there. We're not going to hold it against them. We're going to forgive them, and we're going to love them, and we're going to move on. So here we are in what seems like this impossible situation, completely out of our hands. And so we begin to to contact um, family and friends and say, look, um, this is the situation. And just so that you guys know, um, we've decided to move to Louisiana with Chris's family. Chris is going to be working with his dad for a while while we kind of figure things out and and figure out what we're going to do. And um, that's where I think the, the real test started to come in because friends and family are like, oh no, you need to tell them this and you need to do this and you need to shun them and you need to, and we're like, we're not going to do that. We're going to f- trust God. We're going to forgive them. We're going to love them. And we're going to be excited we are excited about what God's going to do. And what's super exciting about it is that it's completely out of our hands. So we can't wait to see what God does. And that's exactly what we would tell these people. And can I just say, this, this wasn't in my notes, but can I say that sometimes when it comes to, to forgiveness and trusting God's promises that you have to fake it till you make it. Does that make sense? Like sometimes you may not feel like forgiving someone or sometimes you may not feel like trusting because you are, you might feel the situation or you're in the middle of the situation. It doesn't look the way you think it should look, but you know what God's word says. And so you, you take the negative thoughts captive and you say, okay, I know this is how I feel. I know this is what it looks like, but this is what God's word says. And even when other people around you who you would normally take advice from or you consider wise come in some do and they will with the negative thoughts or the negative things because it's just natural. It's just just who we are. We continue to hold on to the truth of what God's word says and we continue to hold on to the fact that I'm responsible for me no matter what anybody else does to me or no matter what the situation looks like. I'm responsible for myself and you fake it till you make it and then after a while it begins to sink in and it that seed begins to grow until you come to the point to where you want to forgive and you want to love and you truly do trust. Right? And so that's where we were in this situation. That's where we were. And so what do we do in the face of impossible situations? Do we move towards the promises of God or do we allow doubt and worry to derail us? Because we all have times of doubt. 
when we're in this process. Will you be honest with me? We all have times of doubt. But where that doubt takes us is up to us. It can either take us away from the promise or it can push us towards the promise. I'm reminded of the story in John chapter 6 where Jesus has just told his followers, there's this crowd here, there's his followers there, and they're all listening to him. And he, he announces to them that he was the bread of life. And they misunderstood. They didn't quite understand the whole him being the bread and the body and all. They, they didn't understand that. And there, there began to be some doubt in their minds. Like maybe this guy's a little crazy. I, I don't know about him. And so we read in verse 66 of John chapter 6 that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And I love what Simon Peter says to him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He understood that there was no other source outside of Jesus. Who else is there, Jesus? What else is there besides you and trusting you? And so when you and I have doubts, we have to come to the conclusion that no one else can fulfill this promise other than Jesus. There is no one else. There is nothing else. And that I am sticking to this. I'm sticking to the truth of your word. I'm sticking to the truth that you are faithful to me, God, no matter how long it takes, no matter how difficult the journey is, no matter how impossible it looks right now, no matter what everybody else says around me, who else is there but you? And that's the conclusion we have to come through. That is what's going to carry us through to the fulfillment of that promise. And can I say that we have to position ourselves to hear from him. We have to position ourselves to hear from him and allow him to speak into our situation. For Chris and I, we had a lot of questions, but what we did know is that our God was faithful. That he was Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and that he was going to provide everything we needed. And that is what we stood on. To whom else could we go? Let me say that the promise that God gives us should never create anxiety or stress in us. It wasn't meant to. They were never intended to cause us to stress and be anxious. If the promise of God is causing us anxiety, then we're probably going about it the wrong way. We've either not given the reins completely over to him, or we've already stepped in and tried to take take the reins from him and do things our own way. Many times our anxiety may be due to the timeline of the promise, forgetting that God's timeline doesn't look like or revolve around our own. Because we live in this fast food culture right, of, of drive-through dinners and have-it-your-way dinners, and we want the same thing with our promise. We want to be able to drive up, grab that promise, have it our way, and be gone with it. God's intention is that through the process that we would be built and we would be changed as we learn to lean into him and learn to trust him. We remember Abraham and Sarah, if we were to back up to chapter 16, They didn't like God's timeline, did they? 
They tried to take matters into their own hands. When Sarah gives her servant Hagar to, to Abraham to lay with and conceive a child, and we know how that turned out, it was a complete disaster. It was a mess for them. And then we read in chapter 18 where Sarah finds out that she, that she is going to be having this child, that, that the promised descendants are going to come from her. And then she laughs because of the timeline. Like, really? Now? Abraham and Sarah had tried to move ahead of God. We need to learn to move with God, not run ahead of him. How many here have ever tried to leash train a dog? Okay, so when you first try to leash train a dog, there's two types of dogs, okay? You've got the refuses to budge dog, and you've got the track star dog. You guys know what I'm talking about. So you've got the refuses to budge dog is going to sit down, and he's going to sit tight, and he's like, I'm not going anywhere, right? I'm staying right here. This is where I'm comfortable. There's too many people over there. I'm sitting right here. And depending on what size dog you have, like if it's a little dog, you can just drag him behind you. But if it's a big dog, you know, you're just like, we have dogs that are like a hundred pounds. And so you'll just, I mean, they're not going anywhere. They're just like, whatever. I'm just sitting here. You can tug all you want. And so then you've got your track star dog. Anybody here have a track star? Okay, so they're the ones that you put the, the leash on and they want to run out ahead. So they're, as soon as you put that leash on their collar, they're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. And, and as soon as you open the door, they don't care who they take out. Like we have one of those. They don't care who they take out, who they knock down. They're getting out that door and they are gone. And you've seen people, they're dragging them down the road and you're, you're like trying to act like you have it all together. Oh, I've got Max. I've got it all together, but he's really dragging you down the road. And you're like, Max, I hope you enjoyed your kibbles and bits this morning because it's going to be your last meal. But it's kind of the same way sometimes when God makes a promise. Sometimes we're tempted to, to be like that refuses to budge. We sit down and we're like, oh no, that's not for me. I'm comfortable right where I'm at, right? And then some of us are the track star. So when God gives us a promise, we're like, oh, oh boy, I can't wait. I can't wait. God, open the door, open the door, open the door. I need it now. I need it now. And God's like, whoa, hold on, hold on, right? But the goal in leash training is what? The goal in leash training is that the dog will walk next to you, right? Synchronized, step by step. When you stop, what happens? The dog stops. When you walk, what happens? The dog walks. And so it's kind of the same thing. It's like, imagine how less our stressful our lives would be if when it comes to waiting for the promises of God, that we walk with him. Instead of sitting tight behind or trying to run out ahead, that we walk alongside him, allowing him complete control and just trusting his timing and process. So what do we do when the promise takes longer than expected? We continue to trust. We hold on to the fact that God is faithful. And part of trusting God in the journey towards your promise is making the right decisions along the way. Not only does doubt have the power to slow you down or propel you, but so do your decisions. If Chris and I were to say, God, we trust you. We know you're going to provide for us. We're going to follow you in this journey. But we had allowed ourselves to, to harbor unforgiveness. And we had allowed ourselves to, to get involved in backbiting and talking bad about this, this uh, person. It would have affected the outcome. 
We all know how bad decisions and disobedience affected the Israelites and their promise. We need to remember that God doesn't give us a promise and then get distracted and forget. He doesn't need us to rush it into existence. He doesn't need us to try to work out all the details for him. Anyone else tried to do that? Well, God, if you did it this way, or you know what? Oh, you could do it this way. I've done that. He just needs us to trust him and know that, that he knows best. In Isaiah 55, 9, it says that the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I feel like God reminds me of this sometimes when I try to run out ahead and he's like, whoa, 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 don't forget. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. I've got this. I know what I'm doing. Let me handle this. In other words, don't be a backseat driver. Anybody here have backseat drivers in your life? Don't, don't turn around and look at your spouse. You have backseat drivers. I think I've been one a few times, probably myself. But everybody knows that a backseat driver is annoying. So simply put it, when it comes to waiting on your promise, don't be annoying. I'm going to invite the band to come up here with me. When it's all said and done and we finally receive what God has promised, we're filled with joy and wonder. And we sit back and say, why did I ever doubt? Why did I ever question? And you look back and see, you know what? God had everything under his control the entire time. Why did I try to run out ahead? Why did I sit back and and say, God, I don't know that I want that promise. It's not for me. Why didn't I just trust him? I love how Abraham and Sarah named their son Isaac because it means laughter. Genesis 21, 6, Sarah says, God made laughter for me and everyone who hears will laugh over me. Sarah's like, this promise, this promised child has brought me so much laughter, even from the beginning, from laughter, from wonder, like how's this even going to happen, to laughter and joy, like God is so faithful. She wanted everyone to be reminded about the faithfulness of God when it comes to his promises. And the thing is, is that that promise, that promise of their child was not just for them, but it was for so many to come. Back to to the story of Chris and I. God had exceeded our expectations and I don't have the time to share all that God did, but I will give you snippets and saying that from the moment that we said, we're going to trust God and we're going to show love his, we saw his hand over and over again. People were giving us money, like big handfuls of money. We had, um, just in him getting his job, there was miracle after miracle in his job that he got with the railroads. And, and he, he gets this, this amazing job at the railroad. It gets us out of debt. We were able to buy our first home and just, just so many miraculous things happened while we waited for that promise. But what we did not know as we were trusting him is that there were other people's stories and lives that were going to be entwined with that promise. And so 
while we were living in Louisiana for that short period of time, um, Chris had, had a friend there and who was married and his wife was not saved. She had been on drugs majority of her life. She'd had a rough life. She had been an alcoholic majority of her life. And while we were there, we had several opportunities to minister her to her and she ended up choosing Christ. She ended up giving her life to Christ while we were there. And yes, yes, it was amazing. But um, about three months after Chris gets his job and we move back to Virginia, we get a phone call from his parents and they tell us that, that this woman has passed away unexpectedly at the age she was like 34, 35, something like that. And even though there was sorrow that, that she had lost her life, there was joy in knowing that she had come to know Christ before she passed. And so we can look back and say, God gives us promises not only for us, but for the people around us. Promises that will affect generation after generation after generation, not just through your testimony, but in ways that you never could imagine. When God carries us on these journeys and fulfills a promise that only he can do, it changes us. It changes others. We can look back now and say that the outcome of our story impacted us, but not nearly as much as the journey. Don't rush the journey towards your promise. What does God have for you during that journey? What does God have for the people that he's put in your sphere of influence during the journey? God took us through this journey. He fulfills a promise, one that only he could do. And you see, when that happens, when we finally get to that place of of joy, looking back, saying, God, you brought me through this. You were faithful. You have this joy that you finally have this promise. But it changes you. It builds something inside of you. It builds this unshakable faith. I, I, I know how, how difficult things seemed in Chris and our situation and how it seemed like it took forever to get to the end of it. But now on the other side of it, we can look back and we can say, God built a faith inside of us that is unshakable in who he is in his faithfulness and what he can do that we know that nothing is impossible with our God how amazing is that that when you finally grab a hold of that promise and you can share with others and say look I know you're dealing with a difficult situation or I know you really want to get to that promise and grab a hold of it right now But God has something for you in this journey. You will get there. But don't forget that when you get there and you grab a hold of it, to share it with others and say, nothing is impossible with my God. And this is why. Remember the power of your testimony. Sarah held her promise. 
She finally got to hold that child, that promised child. And she could say, only God. Who else other than God? Who else? Would you guys stand up with me? Now, I know that... um, that there's some of you that, that are listening this morning and you're like, you know what? I There's this promise that God has given me and maybe maybe you've given up on it. Maybe it's just taken too long or maybe the process has seemed too difficult. I just want to remind you that nothing is impossible with God. That He has not left you and He's maybe you've run ahead. Maybe you're sitting back behind. Catch up with Him. Walk with Him. Allow Him to lead you. Let Him take the reins. Trust Him. Trust His process. Trust His timing. And you will receive that promise. Let me pray over you guys this morning. Father God, we thank You this morning for Your promises. We thank You, God, that You have a a promise, that You have a plan for every one of our lives. God, I thank you, God, for your faithfulness, Lord. The faithfulness that you have reminded us this morning with the story of Abraham and Sarah, God, that even at that old age, that you came through, God, that you blew their minds. God, I pray that that person that is holding on to that promise this morning, that you blow their minds, God. God, that you come through for them in a way that only you can, that they grab a hold of that promise that they follow after you and they trust you with all that is within them, that they get to the end of that promise and they say, who else but God? Look at what God has done. Look at his faithfulness in in my life. We thank you for that, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would give people a fresh faith and a fresh boldness, Lord God, to pray into that promise, to follow you, Lord God, every step of the way, no matter how difficult it seems, no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how long it takes to get there, God. May we trust you and your process, God, as we get to that promise that you have for each and every one of us. Thank you for it, God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I hope you have a great week. Hello, my name is Skip, and I'm on staff here at Hope Community Church.